The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you're in the right place. I always say it, I always mean it, and it's true. What's the buzz on the street today? Well, this is an interesting topic. Okay, here we go. According to Daryl M. West at the Brookings Institution, he wrote this in July 2016, and I quote, A survey of 12,000 adults across eight nations showed that 70% are willing to see a doctor via video conference for non-urgent appointments. Okay, that's the first statistic. And the second one he presents is 70% are receptive to using toilet sensors, prescription bottle sensors, and swallowed health monitors. Now, if you picked up on a theme here, the theme is medicine, the theme is patients, the theme is healthcare, and in there somewhere we're talking about sensors, meaning IOT, Internet of Things. So, what's going on in the healthcare industry right now? Well, the industry has long been at the forefront of adoption of innovative technologies, and it's actually having a very good relationship with the IOT. Why? Because integrating Internet of Things sensors with medical devices and with processes, just like I read in the quote, has improved the quality and effectiveness of healthcare services. And that's something that affects every one of you and people you know, your families, your colleagues, your neighbors, your friends friends, but especially important for the elderly, for people with chronic conditions, and for patients who require constant supervision. And think about people who can't get to a doctor's office or a hospital or other healthcare facilities very easily. So I'm just going to say, welcome to the new world of the IMOT. You're scratching your head and wondering, what is that? The Internet of Medical Things, the IOMT. We're going to find out if we flip the letters, it could be MIOT. So Medical Things, Internet of things and welcome. I have a panel of three experts who are going to explain this, explore this, and introduce us to this. It really is a brave new world. So first up in just a moment, I'll be welcoming Dr. Peter Kilcommons. He's the founder and CEO of a telemedicine telehealth company called MedWeb, M-E-D-W-E-B. He'll tell us about his company. Joining him on the panel is Dr. Mohammed. He's going to tell me I can call him Mo Mardini. He's a data scientist and recent medical school graduate at MedWeb. And rounding out the panel is Adam Mardini. Yes, Mo and Adam are father's son and father. They're related. And Adam is at SAP. He's been on the show before. He's the chief architect with customer innovation and enterprise platform at SAP. So stellar panel, very smart people. And let's find out what's going on here. Dr. Peter Kilcommons has sent us a quote from Steve Forbes. Steve Forbes, full name Malcolm Stevenson. Steve Forbes, Jr., born 1947. American public 
establishing executive who actually was twice a candidate for the Republican Party's nomination for U.S. president in 1996 and 2000. He is the editor-in-chief of Forbes, the business magazine, and the son of longtime Forbes publisher Malcolm Forbes. I didn't know this, but President Reagan appointed C. Forbes as head of the Board of International Broadcasting, Radio Free Europe, Radio Liberty. Very interesting. So here's the quote Dr. Kilcommons has selected from Steve Forbes. The real cure for what ails our healthcare system today is less government and more freedom. Dr. Peter Kilcommons, we are so honored to have you here today. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for joining us. Talk to me about this quote, very interesting quote from Steve Forbes. Are you a big, big fan of Forbes magazine and do you follow Steve and what he says? Well, I, I'm a fan of Forbes, Forbes magazine, and, and uh, I think that uh, they're very much on the pulse of, of our economy moving forward. So tell me about the quote. So I think that uh, one of the challenges of, of uh, health care delivery is uh, to stay focused on the uh, needs of the patient. And uh, we have done that overall uh, by trying to migrate all of the healthcare system to uh, electronic medical records over the last uh, several years, there's been a huge surge in electronic medical records, as you pointed out. Um, mm-hmm. And the the uh, the logic behind it, of course, is to increase efficiencies. However, uh, government has never been known for um, uh, delivering solutions efficiently, and so a a uh, a, a free market approach to those efficiencies uh, is something that will be uh, much more effective, I think, overall, with uh, restrictions around, uh, for example, uh, standards for interoperability and collaboration between various healthcare enterprises and uh, clinicians with patients. Thank you very much. You, you told me in our prep call you want me to call you Pete, so I'll intersperse Pete and Dr. Kilcommons because uh, I told you and and uh, Mo and Adam that I have physicians in my family and I have great respect for the extra education you have all achieved and your your professional status. So uh, forgive me if I don't call you Pete all the time. So so I will right now. Uh, Pete, tell me something. Are there a lot of uh, investors and startup companies looking to get into this burgeoning field? Are you seeing a lot lot of new disruptors, if you will, saying, I've got the greatest smart pill and knocking on your door at MedWeb and saying, guess what I just invented, Dr. Kilcommons, you got to see this. Are you seeing a lot of that in terms of free market energy and energizing this new field? Well, uh, absolutely. We see a lot of people um, and, and start companies rushing in uh, to invent, as you point out, the next magical device or pill. Uh, and there is has been uh, a substantial increase in investments uh, over the last several years. I think uh, investments have increased by 38% in this particular area. However, mm-hmm. uh, most recently, there's been a radical reduction in investment money in the field for startups as people wait out to see what happens with uh, changes in Congress regarding uh, reimbursement for medical care. 
Ah, interesting. And let me ask you one more question before I introduce Mo with his quote. The question is, in terms of adoption, now I said in my opening, Pete, uh, that the survey that the gentleman at Brookings Institution was quoting, 70% of these 12,000 adults across eight nations. Now, as you and I both know, eight nations is probably, in terms of the world, a small pool, right? It's a, But it's something. 12,000 adults, well, it's not a million, but it certainly is more than 350 people in, you know, in, in uh, East New York told us, blah, blah. Blah, blah. So it's a substantial number, but 70% are receptive to using toilet sensors, prescription bottle sensors, and swallowed health monitors. So are you seeing rapid adoption in terms of, hey, you can't force a patient to swallow a health monitor. What are you seeing? Well, I think, I think we have to preface that with what percentage of those uh, IOMT devices are actually IOMT devices. Um, I, I like ah. to separate the, the area between health and wellness versus medical devices and more medic- diagnostically useful devices. So on the one hand, we see a lot of people who are certainly uh, picking up their Fitbits and activity sensors and heart rate monitors uh, and asking for ways to incorporate those into the medical record. However, uh, from a diagnostic point of view, uh, the vast majority of those devices don't prove out to be diagnostically useful. So the adoption rate in clinical practice uh, is nowhere near uh, the the surge in activity around using these sensors uh, for uh, just regular health and wellness and and, uh, consumer uh, health activities. Thank you very much. Thanks for uh, indulging my questions. I don't usually interview the guests at this point in the show, but there's just so much I want to learn from you, and I I wanted the audience to get excited about this. So thank you. Thank you, Dr. Pete Kilcommons. And now let's introduce Dr. Mohamed Momardini, a recent graduate of med school. He's also at MedWeb and works with Dr. Kilcommons. And Mo has sent us a quote that is typically attributed to Charles Darwin. However, according to quote investigator, Darwin never said it or wrote it, but a gentleman named Leon C. Meganson, a professor of business at Louisiana State University, in 1963 said the following words at a convention of the Southwestern Social Science Association. So, Mo, you're going to learn a little bit. He said, quote, it is not the strongest of the species that survives, nor the most intelligent, but the one most responsive to change. Mo Mardini, Dr. Mardini, welcome to Game Changers Radio. How are you today, Mo? I'm doing good, Bunny. How are you doing? I'm fine. Thank you for asking. I, I, shall I say with two doctors on the panel, I feel great. Thank you very much, doctor. <laughs> no, no, no IOMT in me. I, I'm, I'm not even, I'm even a med phobe, so I don't take anything, but uh, I'm, I'm intrigued by the topic. So, Mo, tell me how you picked this particular, particular quote for our show today. What is the reference? <clears throat> so I think it's relevant uh, in, uh, in today's time that, you know, Prior to uh, uh, this explosion of EMR and uh, medical technology, uh, we kind of had this reactive uh, sense of, uh, you know, uh, reacting to something like a heart attack. I mean, somebody would have a heart attack, and then you would have a protocol, and then you'd have a certain treatment, and they would come back in a week or two. But now, instead of reacting when the heart attack is happening, we're trying to actually predict when the heart attack will happen and prevent it from happening in the first place. Uh, I think that's really the huge uh, takeaway message here is instead of reacting after the disaster strikes, we can kind of predict and prevent it from happening in the first place. 
Okay, so l- let me thank you for that. L- let me ask you the similar question I asked Dr. Kilcommons. Do you see a lot of adoption of this? And first of all, what do you do as a data scientist at MedWeb? What is your role? Are you functioning as a physician? Are you functioning as somebody who's in the, the IoT world, uh, in, in the computer world, the technology? So where do you see your role? So what I do is I actually build uh, the servers that are used for telemedicine, uh, that are used for the remote diagnostics. And as a clinician, I have a, uh, you know, I've, uh, I kind of understand what the needs are for uh, the providers and what they're really looking for and what's, uh, you know, important feedback that we can impl- implement into our uh, system. Uh, so that's really uh, my job is getting feedback from physicians and uh, making sure that they're able to uh, communicate with their patients uh, more efficiently and more effectively. Sounds like an interesting job. So you're, you have one foot in the world of technology, one in the world of speaking uh, language, and one foot in the world of, of, of clinical. Is that correct? Clinical med? That's correct. So actually, my, uh, yeah, I, I got kind of my IT background from my dad, and my mom is a physician, so I'm kind of in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's <laughs> funny. The that reason balance. I'm... The reason I'm asking that, yes, balance is certainly something that's hard to achieve. Years ago, I was a mainframe programmer analyst way before you were born, Mo, and uh, Pete was probably just, I don't know, just seeing daylight at that time, I'm guessing. And Adam, I'm not so sure about you. And uh, one day I was hired by a, a, a correspondent bank in New York who said, well, we don't want you to be a programmer. I was on the West Coast. I came back to New York, my roots, and I was uh, a, the programmer analyst. I was doing COBOL 24 hours a day in PL1, and I knew how to write uh, write compilers. And, and this new person at this this bank, he had just left a major bank to go and be the, the uh, CEO of this correspondent bank, which I, I won't talk about right now. But anyway, he said to me, well, you speak programming. You know how to code. You know how to set up a, a, t- a great top-down program and you speak good English. So he said, I'm going to send you around to the people in the company. This was not a, a, this was not a bank where you'd walk in and get a bank check from a teller. We did banking behind the scenes, back office for savings banks in New York State. He said, I'm going to send you around to our office in New York, and you're going to speak to the different departments, and you're going to find out what they need, what's their feedback, what reports do they need, what kinds of things, that numbers do they have that they need the programmers to create, and then you're going to go back to the programmers. You're going to sit with them and say, Bob in accounting needs this, and Mary in the vault department needs this, and you're going to be, and they called me a systems liaison. So my guess is it's a little bit like what you're doing. You said you get feedback from doctors. You're creating servers. You're working on the IoT side and the med side. Am I right? You're kind of a liaison exactly. among worlds? Yeah. Uh-huh. I, uh, I knew I liked you. Perfectly correct, yeah. <laughs> I, I knew we had a little something in common. Yes, and my dad and my, my, my daughter are both MDs. There you go. Mo, thank you so much for joining us. I know you and Peter are so busy. And speaking of busy, our third guest is Adam Mardini. He's Mo's father, but we won't do the father-son thing on the show. He is a chief architect with SAP and Customer Innovation and Enterprise Platform. Adam was on this series a couple of weeks ago. We're welcoming him back. And Adam is doing the high-tech thing by calling us from Singapore. And another time zone, we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, Adam has sent us a quote from Hippocrates and how perfect for this topic. Hippocrates, also known as Hippocrates Roman numeral II, was a Greek physician in the age of Pericles. That's classical Greece and considered one of the most outstanding figures 
in the history of medicine. As a matter of fact, Hippocrates has been referenced as the father of modern medicine, and he is commonly portrayed as the paragon of the ancient physician, and he coined, or he's credited with coining, the Hippocratic Oath, which is still used by doctors today. Very, very interesting. Also advanced the systematic study of clinical medicine. I will just leave that alone. And here is the quote Adam has selected from the great Hippocrates. Quote, declare the past, diagnose the present, foretell the future. Adam Mardini, that is a major quote. Welcome, Adam. How are you? How's Singapore? Hi, Bonnie. It's a beautiful day here in Singapore. Actually, it's here at 10, 17 p.m., and uh, it's a hot, humid day, another hot, humid day here in Singapore. Well, we're very happy for you. When, when you and I spoke on the prep call with Pete and Mo the other day, I think it was 6.04 in the morning for you. That was last night, and here you are at 10.30 at night, so you're definitely burning the candle, and I'm sure Hippocrates would have a cure for that. So tell me about this quote, Adam. It, it, is, it kind of encapsulates so much that I think we could use it on almost any of our 14 series because we're talking about declaring the past, looking at your history, where you come from, diagnose, which is a perfect word for this show about medicine, and foretell the future. We will end this show, of course, with the crystal ball prediction. So tell me how that relates to our topic of the Internet of Medical Things. Adam? You're absolutely right. That's a very generic statement. We can apply it to so many things. But in the world, in the world of uh, IOMT, uh, it's phenomenally important. I mean, Mo was uh, talking about how we need to move from reactive to predictive, and that's precisely what this quote is all about. Declare the past, look at what we have done in the past, diagnose what we have right now, and we have to foretell the future. We have to go from reactive into predictive. The I- IOMT is, is, is our tool to help the world move from, from being just a reactive mode into a predictive mode. Okay, I, I like that a lot, and I just was so intrigued, as you can tell by the word diagnose, in diagnosing the present normally those of us who are not in the medical profession, we're not diagnosing anything we're observing, maybe what, you know, right now we call mindfulness. Mindfulness is living in the present, being in the moment, not thinking forward or backward, but just getting yourself involved in what's happening right in front of you now. Thank you, Adam, and we are very appreciative that you're certainly burning the candle at all ends to join us, and we appreciate you, that. Thank you. And you sound pretty good. The connection's not bad. We're always intrigued when we have guests in Asia calling at a 12-hour time difference, and, and it sounds good. So, circling around the table to Dr. Peter Kilcommons. Peter, we would like to know where you're calling from, and what are you drinking now if it's interesting? If not, what's your favorite drink? What powers Dr. Kilcommons? Go ahead, Pete. <clears throat> well, I'm calling from uh, my dining room in Reno, Nevada, <laughs> and... Um... Lucky you. I, I think a lot of people would love to have a dining room in Reno. <laughs> Sorry. I was going to ask if you won it in yeah. a game. Uh, so, so tell me something. Uh, what, what's life like in Reno today? It's a beautiful sunny morning and uh, with crisp, crisp, clear skies. And, nice uh, to know. I'm, what are you drinking? Well, I'm, I'm uh, drinking my usual uh, you know, uh, breakfast, breakfast blend from my Keurig. Uh, coffee maker, but uh, more interesting coffee drink I, I happened upon over the weekend is uh, coffee-infused uh, dark beer. <laughs> to Ooh, uh, tell me about that. What is that? Well, uh, there's a company in, in uh, Upper New York State that has come out with a beer called Jamama that has uh, uh, coffee from one of the coffee roasters in town combined with their 
their version of a, of a Guinness-style beer. Sounds and wonderful. It, I just looked. I just looked up coffee-infused dark beer. I didn't warn you on the prep call. I love to do lookups. And uh, I, here's, here's a funny comment. This article is from craftbeer.com, and it's 15 coffee beers you're going to want to try. And the opening sentence is, I once heard somewhere it takes an awful lot of good beer to make wine. If that's true, it takes a heck of a lot of coffee to brew great beer or write about it. Do you agree with that? <laughs> Absolutely. Very, very interesting. And there's another article here in allaboutbeer.com called The Art of Brewing Coffee Beers. Snap Guide has a how to make coffee infused beer. And then here's one. I'm going to ask you this question. Is there caffeine in beers brewed with coffee? Pete, what are you, what's your experience with that? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's probably one of the perks, right? <laughs> Pardon the pun. Yeah. Pardon the pun. Oh, I'm, I'm never afraid of puns. There you go. I'm looking at a picture of some coffee. The seven best coffee-infused beers to keep you perky. That's at organicauthority.com. Now we know it's healthy, too. Thank you, Pete. Very interesting. And, Mo, I'm going to ask you now, circling around the table a little farther, Mo Bardini, where are you today, and what kind of drink keeps you going in your busy career? Uh, so I'm actually in San Francisco right now. Um, it's actually pretty cold here, as expected. <laughs> Um, I'm actually drinking uh, coffee that I got from Honduras uh, when I was there last year. Uh, I had the mm-hmm. pleasure of meeting uh, actually a coffee farmer who gave me a few bags of coffee, uh, fresh coffee. So I usually have that with a co- like a shot of caramel, like the Tarani caramel uh, syrup, and that gets me going in the mornings. Oh, that sounds exciting. Thank you. We've got some interesting, (laughs) interesting drinks today. My, my, my. And Adam, what does one drink in Singapore at 10 o'clock at night or at 6 o'clock in the morning when you're on phone calls with the U.S.? So we know where you are. Oh, somebody's got music. Adam, what are you drinking today or what do you wish you're drinking? Uh, Coffee, actually. Uh, Unfortunately, I love black coffee. I'm allergic to milk, so I can't have anything in my coffee. At all, and I don't like sweet coffee. Uh, here in uh, in Singapore, for some reason, they don't have almond milk. So I just continue to drink black coffee with nothing on it. Right now, I'm just drinking water. I'm in my hotel room uh, in the middle of the business district of uh, the of the uh, Singapore uh, city, one of the cleanest, the safest city cities in the world. That's that's just what I love about it. Really, one of the safest, cleanest cities in the world is. So, uh, what's going on in in medicine? Are they at the forefront of medical disruption or medical uh, uh, innovations? What's happening? Uh, have you spoken to anybody there about what's happening in in your field? About the field that that your son Mo and that Dr. Peter Kilcommons are involved in? Absolutely, coincidentally, I'm working with uh, with the Singapore Police Force as well as the IM. HI, this is the Singapore Medical and Healthcare Unit, and they are on the front runner trying to go into the genome research and trying to go into the IoT as well and pushing Singapore because this is just a small country. They have a lot of resources, so they would like to push the envelope and trying to be at the front runner when it comes to the implementation of IOMT here in Singapore. Very interesting. I'm glad I asked. I had a feeling you were there for a particular reason. So we're going to take a quick break, the pause that refreshes. We're speaking today about when IoT meets healthcare, the Internet of Medical Things, IOMT, 
learn along with me, brand new burgeoning field. We're talking telemedicine. We're talking about medicine that is served up remotely for people who may not be able to get to a facility, helping physicians reach their patients in an intelligent way, collecting data for diagnostics and prediction and prevention and all that good stuff. You don't want to miss the rest of the conversation. Our very special guests today are Dr. Peter Kilcommons and Dr. Mo Mohammed Mardini at MedWeb and also, Adam Mardini at SAP. Shout out to Ira Burke, the sponsor of this series. You are listening to the Internet of Things with Game Changers Radio, presented by SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and we'll be right back. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. You know the drill. Kevin out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Insights from totally new sources of data, sensors that capture and share what is happening in your business environment, and the tools to understand it and act on it. These are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Internet of Things with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Internet of Things with Game Changers. And here we are. Welcome back. I'm looking at the tweet stream here. We have some live ones here. We've got the handle Things Ventures tweeting. Welcome, whoever you are. We're happy to have you on board. We have Ira Burke at SAP, who is the sponsor of this series. And we have our good friend Stephen Thorne at SAP's Digitalist Magazine also tweeting. And here's the comment they are sharing. The Internet of Medical Things, IOMT, will move us from reactive to predictive medicine. And that's a quote from Adam Mardini at SAP. So thank you all for tweeting and glad you're listening. We're going to start the roundtable portion of the show formally with Dr. Peter Kilcommons at MedWeb. But Peter, I'd like to first just do a sidebar here. When did you form, establish, create, found MedWeb? And what was the need in the marketplace that you wanted to fill with this company? Then we'll go to your opening statement. So go ahead, Peter. Uh, So MedWeb was founded uh, around 1992. um, And uh, I founded it while I was an orthopedic resident, uh, orthopedic surgical resident, uh, actually, uh, it, it, even earlier in 89, I started the work, and then 92, we really started to market it. 
Uh, and the need was to replace uh, analog imaging with digital imaging. And so uh, I was uh, one of the very first, uh, or the very first, to start putting medical imaging into a web browser many years ago. Uh, and the company has evolved from there to include synchronous and asynchronous telemedicine, uh, uh, which we kind of morphed into just calling it medicine since there's um, the the ever-expanding architecture of enterprise healthcare. Very interesting, very interesting. Uh, just a quick question. How did you find the time to found a company while you were a practicing doctor? That, that's, that's a lot. Medicine itself is well, consuming. Was, was we know very, that. I was very fortunate to work at um, a, uh, a teaching program out of New York uh, associated with uh, Columbia University uh, Medical School, and uh, they left a uh, fortunate time every day that you could use for your your own research and purposes. So I only I only had to work about eighteen hours a day, which left uh, plenty of time for research and a couple hours for sleep. <laughs> touche, touche. As the mother of of a physician, I certainly have heard the stories. And thank you very much for that. So while you're still awake, let's talk about a very provocative statement you sent me for the roundtable, Pete. You say the differentiator between IOWT, that's a new term for us too here, Internet of Wearable Things, and IOMT, the Internet of Medical Things, is the accuracy of the information received. Talk to us about the value of accuracy and how does the WT fit into the MT? Or, or vice versa, how does MT fit into WT? Because Fair enough. Uh, there are many, many uh, wearable devices that are out there in the market, and we're all very familiar as people. Uh, have their smart watches and, and uh, Fitbits and so on. Uh, however, uh, when it gets down to diagnostics, looking at things like a cardiac rhythm uh, or uh, measuring fluctuations in uh, other metabolic uh, uh, measures on the body, for example, you know now there are some uh, uh, blood glucose sensors that are wearable sensors. Uh, the reason you haven't heard from about them earlier is because they simply weren't accurate enough to be diagnostically useful. And uh, so I uh, reference uh, there are several companies out there that have made it their business of, of uh, capturing data from some of these devices or all of these devices if they can and feeding them into electronic medical record systems or to clinician workflows. And uh, one of the things that came out of those uh, efforts was that, of, for example, one, one uh, organization had connected to some 300 medical device uh, or wearable devices that purported to provide some type of medical sensor activity. And of that group, we ended up picking about 12 that we found uh, had some sort of diagnostically useful data that we could, we could take advantage of. Because the other piece of this that's, that's missing uh, in uh, the individual IOMT-type startups is that that data needs to feed into an information system that's going to analyze and select out the types of uh, data that are diagnostically useful and then send a subset of that to the appropriate clinician. Thank you so very we're, much. We're, for... we're, in a, yeah, we're in a world right now where we're uh, sussing out which, which of these devices are, are truly useful and or, or combination of devices, and how do we analyze that data uh, to bring it to a, a um, 
a size and format that's uh, useful to the clinician. And, and tell me something, do patients who are using or being asked to use or to trial these, these devices, are they feeling like they're leading edge uh, part of the research effort? Are they feeling like guinea pigs? Uh, is there a willingness? What are you seeing on the clinical side? Well, I, I think there's an enormous willingness and, and a drive. In fact, there's, I would say there's a demand from uh, people that uh, they want to be able to send their data to their clinician and, uh, you know, have it analyzed because uh, many times they're, they'll see a blip or something in, in uh, one of their uh, wearable devices and they're worried about it. And, and uh, you know, so you talk about people who are focused on uh, their own health and wellness, which is a fantastic uh, 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 outcome uh, mm -hmm. to this whole uh, wearable device uh, trend right now because at least it's, it's generating that interest that, that uh, people are looking more towards preventive health care and improving the quality of uh, their, their uh, physical activity and the quality of the foods that they eat. Thank you, Pete. Yes, that is a good trend. And let's get to Dr. Mo Mardini now. Mo, love to have you talk about IOWT, IOMT. Talk about what Pete started for us a few minutes ago, please. What's your thought? So I totally agree with Pete. I think that, uh, you know, we've recently begun to gather a lot of, uh, you know, big data, but we don't really know what to do with it. Uh, you know, we, we do have an EMR that is constantly, uh, you know, storing this data, but everything is being switched to cloud. Uh, we don't use really paper prescription or anything like that anymore. That's being moved to digital, but... Uh, you don't? I think that... <laughs> sorry, was that? I, I, I said you don't. I have to tell my doctor. Go ahead. <laughs> paper prescriptions. Well, Forgive think, me. Go I ahead. I think that we're... Well, as far as what I'm doing, uh, you know, we're working on switching to iPads. Uh, so we're really moving away from using paper and pen and more towards, uh, you know, uh, everything, moving to, everything to digital. Uh, I think that the EHR was the biggest, uh, you know, leap forward because now we can add modules such as telemedicine to those and uh, slowly begin to, uh, you know, expand our horizons and, uh, you know, shift our resources towards more rural areas that need the, uh, have a shortage of doctors. Thank you very much. Adam Mardini, love to get your thoughts on all of this. Well, I fully agree with, uh, with Dr. Pete and, uh, there will be a point in time where the wearables, they will be able to provide uh, accurate data, and that will make a phenomenal change to the world of uh, IOMT. So if you go to any doctor right now and you get the uh, blood pressure uh, check, you will not see the same tool that we can get from Costco, for example, uh, just because of the accuracy that that's mandated that we have to use uh, the highest level when it comes to the uh, medical profession. But uh, the devices that we are going to use as wearable, and uh, they have to, to improve the accuracy. And once that accuracy has been improved, we will see marvelous uh, achievements in the world of uh, IOMT. Uh, the other thing that I would like to mention is, is the level of uh, innovation that we are getting right now. It's really helping, and, and, and it's a highly competitive environment. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, one of the uh, companies, I mean, this is really funny, in Japan that uh, they manufacture toilets, they're looking into getting some medical measurement out of the human waste into the toilets. This is, this is the level of, of, of thinking that we are heading into. 
uh, IOMT will really take the world by storm. And at the same time, the IOWT, uh, it's going to get better and better. So at least I agree with Pete, but I'm hoping that that will that collide between the IOWT and IOMT will take place in the near future. Thank you very much. I'm seeing a lot of positive and optimism here. Pete, anything you want to add to what your colleagues on the panel just shared, your co-panelists, before I move on? Uh, sure. I think I think in in uh, uh, to to Adam's statement, I, I just wanted to throw in the that the the information system component of how what we do with all of this data. Um, we're we're really at a a wonderful. Uh, uh, nexus of of uh, artificial intelligence, natural language processing, and and uh, cloud architectures because there's such a huge volume of data that comes in that in order to make it uh, to take advantage of it, we really have to have a, a virtual layer or a smart layer of analytics that are going to be analyzing the data coming in from the IOMT devices and then combining that with other information about that particular patient whether it's genomics, uh, uh, the current medications that they're on, uh, uh, and or, you know, their lifestyle uh, choices. Putting all of that together is where we're going to start to see the accuracy that we, we really want to see from IOMT devices. And that's going to allow us to uh, bring home that preventive care approach in an economically feasible manner that will work not just for the, you know, the seven or eight countries that you mentioned early on, uh, mm-hmm. but for many countries with un- underserved populations with very limited healthcare infrastructure, because what we're seeing is a transition or, you know, what, what's evolving is a transition to this whole new layer in between the IOMT devices and the existing uh, healthcare infrastructure, a, a new layer of analytics, uh, uh, artificial intelligence, and and, uh, and and a population health architecture that's not really part of the current uh, electronic medical record or electronic health record systems that we see today. Thank you, Pete. Very interesting. I'm absolutely fascinated by this topic. There are so many leaps and bounds that are being taken behind the scenes, and I applaud you, Pete, and you, Mo, and, and Adam, of course, for working on the tech side. Um, Dr. Mo Mardini, here's an interesting topic I found in your notes before the show. I'm going to read it. I think we want to talk a little bit about what's actually happening on the medical side. You say medical technology such as smart beds, want you to talk about that, Bluetooth stethoscopes, aha, and USB medical scopes are used to gain a better understanding of patient health in our faster-paced environment. They're not only limited to hospitals and clinics, they can be applied to villages with little or no health care and correctional facilities. Let's expand the discussion to talk about where and when and who with what. What are the devices about and what are they doing? Mo, why don't you start this off, then we'll circle around the table and add Adam and Pete to the discussion. Go ahead, Mo. So I totally agree. I mean, I think there's, there's being, a, you know, an expansion of medical technologies. Uh, we're trying to really uh, increase the level of uh, uh, of the devices used by doctors so that, you know, we can share this data and get a better understanding of our patients. Uh, whether it's a smart bed or a Bluetooth stethoscope, uh, we're really trying to uh, gain as much data as we can to uh, help predict uh, future outcomes. 
uh, as far as the, uh, you mentioned correctional facilities, telemedicine mm-hmm. is being used where, uh, you know, we don't want to put a doctor uh, in any kind of danger, and if they don't need to be there, uh, that's even better. So uh, remote diagnosis can be used in that, uh, you know, that scenario, but also in a rural vi- village. Um, I mentioned that I was in Honduras last year, and that was a perfect example where, you know, instead of having people walk miles and miles to the nearest hospital, uh, we could set up a small server for them or, you know, within a clinic, and they can get, you know, diagnosed and treated uh, from there and get really good kind of uh, uh, consultations uh, from leading physicians from around the world to that uh, specific area. Mo, is this exciting for you? You're young. Tell us when, when did you get your medical degree? Uh, when did you complete your residency, your internship? And is this what drew you, this combination of technology and leading ed, edge advances and the, the, the push to serve the underserved and the possible underserved, i.e. people in situations like you mentioned, correctional facilities where it might not be appropriate for a physician or their support staff to be among certain, certain people? Um, was this what excited you about this? new brand of medicine today, Mo? So, uh, you know, even before getting into medical school, I've always been uh, pretty tech savvy. Uh, I, I've always loved technology, and uh, I've always thought about, you know, implementing uh, uh, remote diagnostics throughout medical school because, you know, as a physician, you see, you know, you always hear that there's a shortage of doctors, but there's really no solution. And, uh, you know, nowadays uh, we see all these startups coming out trying to, you know, get in on the action that, uh, you know, all these different medical apps trying to basically solve this problem. Um, and it, it is pretty exciting. I mean, I, I, this is something that I love to do. I love to uh, really work on medical tech and uh, see how we can help people around the world. It's not just something that we do in one place, but... Uh, really, it's, this is a global, uh, you know, going to be a global solution. Sounds exciting. I like that. Adam Mardini, I think you're probably a very proud father, a proud papa. Talk to me about what Moja shared about this moving of telemedicine to be able to treat remote, underserved, or difficult populations. Uh, it's a beautiful concept. I mean, I definitely agree with that. But uh, nevertheless, we have to be a little bit cautious about the direction that we're heading with IOMT. So on one direction, nobody at all is addressing the issue with the cybersecurity. Um, my concern mm-hmm. is uh, someplace, some, someday, somebody's going to hack into it. And can you imagine the effect of that that's going to take place, especially if we are doing uh, remote diagnostics and people, let's assume that people are really dependent on it. Uh, the other thing is nobody is looking aggressively into the integration of the massive amount of uh, machinery and, and tools that, uh, they use in hospitals right now with, uh, with the electronic medical record or uh, with the IMT in general. Uh, the third thing is what Pete was what touching base uh, on is we need to uh, invest a little bit more into the artificial intelligence and into machine learning with all the data that we are collecting from IOMT. So it's not just about remote diagnostic, but there are many other, many other areas that we are really not investing in enough uh, time or even resources to, to get where we need to be in the shortest uh, time possible. 
Thank you, Adam. I was going to I was going to save that cybersecurity for your topic when we got around to you in the roundtable, but I'm very glad you brought it up. So we're going to circle around to Dr. Peter Kilcommons. And Pete, why don't you tell us about your perspective on not only what Adam introduced, but uh, what rather Mo introduced, but Adam as well. Pete? Um, well, uh, there, the, the two areas I, I think uh, most common about uh, some of the, you know, smart beds and and uh, digital stethoscopes and the like uh, are really um, uh, an intramural IOMT architecture. Mm. And if we wanted to, we could kind of break up the IOMT architecture and market into the consumer market versus the, the clinician market or the, the hospital market. And and the, the types of devices that Mo referred to are already making a huge impact in the quality of care for Physicians, because for example, digital stethoscopes. A, a, a healthcare worker with a mobile phone, phone, a digital stethoscope, uh, uh, or a portable ultrasound can be out in a village and do pre, prenatal exams. And then the, op, the when they run into something that they haven't seen before, or 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 a heart sound they haven't heard before, they can immediately consult with a cardiologist or an obstetrician. Who might be at a tertiary care facility at the at the capital city or you know a large hospital? So that's that's a very very rapidly evolving capability. But then uh, speaking to the uh, uh, Adam's comment about security, mm-hmm. uh, most definitely in this age of the WannaCry virus and, and things like it, we have to be uh, very very careful in maintaining security and of our infrastructure and communications. And that's a real challenge for IoT devices or IOMT devices because by their very nature, they're small. They have uh, small processors, and so they're not able to do some of the cryptographic uh, types of uh, processes to the same degree that we might see with larger devices. So I think that the evolution of uh, GPUs and NVIDIA chips and integrating those into IOMT devices may give us the kind of uh, cryptographic processing that we need in order to safeguard the security uh, of that medical information uh, as it goes into these various uh, cloud infrastructures. Thank you, Pete. And uh, Adam, before I circle back to you, uh, Adam, sorry, father and son, father and son, Mo, before I circle back to you, I, I want to do a reference here. Pete, you dropped the term wanna cry. I was not even familiar with that. And of course, we all are. I didn't know the name. Wanna cry, everybody, is a ransomware attack that was a worldwide cyber attack by the quote unquote wanna cry. And it actually, uh, I don't think it's copyrighted or trademarked, but it could be. It's a ransomware <laughs> no. crypto worm that targeted computers running Microsoft Windows operating operating system, uh, and it, it, it encrypted data and demanded ransom payments in the Bitcoin cryptocurrency. And here's why it's relevant. And Pete, I'm so glad you brought this up. It started on Friday, May 12, 2017. That was just two weeks ago. And within one day, it was reported to have infected more than 230,000 computers in over 150 countries. It hit Britain's National Health Service, the NHS, Spain's Telefonica, FedEx, Deutsche Bahn were hit in many countries and companies companies worldwide. Very, very interesting. So, Pete, I'm glad you brought it up. As I said, I, I didn't even know the name of the virus, but it certainly uh, impacted a lot of people, a lot of companies, a lot of systems that didn't want to be compromised. And then again, whose does? So thank you for bringing that up. Uh, 
Mohammed, Mo, I'm coming back to you. Anything you want to add about these wonderful digital devices? And, and if you, I'm going to ask you a silly question, Mo. If you could have invented one of these devices that's supporting and helping with telecare, telehealth, telemedicine, like the digital stethoscope, what would what would you have invented, or what would you invent next? Any thoughts on that? Um, I think that the device that's actually being used the most is the smartphone. I think that. That is probably the most relevant device that, you know, uh, from a patient's perspective that we're, you know, that they use, uh, you know, as far as communicating with the doctor and uh, having multiple medical apps. I mean, there's an app that I was using in, uh, uh, when I was abroad. When I didn't have a stethoscope, I had a medical app that was actually a stethoscope uh, that I would just plug in my headphones and I can use at any time. And something as brilliant as that can really, uh, you know, impact uh, you know, uh, a lot of the patients. Very interesting. If you could, if you could invent something, what would you invent? I know Steve Jobs already took care of the smartphone, but but what, what would you invent? Do you, is there a device you're using now that you would love to see become smart or smarter? Yeah, any ideas what you would invent or or tweak, fine tune? I think it's the uh, digital uh, stethoscope. I think that, you know, the stethoscope is, uh, you know, uh, the doctors always use the stethoscope, and that's something that uh, if we had a Bluetooth stethoscope that was uh, available before, uh, we can definitely analyze, uh, you know, heart sounds and bowel sounds and kind of figure out what's going on uh, instead of having a, a specialist taking a uh, look at it. It's something that, you know, definitely we can share that, audio and being able to, uh, even from a medical student perspective, it's something that we can learn and uh, from. So, yeah, definitely the digital stethoscope is something I would I'd probably invent. Thank you very much. Okay, Proud Papa, Adam Mardini, I'm going to circle around you. You already brought up the cybersecurity, being cautious about the impact of potential cyber attacks. Uh, Adam, I'm just going to open this up to you. We just have about two minutes till we go to the predictions round, so I'm going to let you tell us, is there anything on your mind before I go back to Pete and have him do his predictions? Adam, anything else on this topic you want to share with us quickly? Yeah, actually, I was talking to the CIO of uh, IHIS. Uh, this is uh, similar to our healthcare uh, network in the U.S. And he presented the idea that uh, why don't we just look into a predictive uh, mechanism where people like me, my age, my race, my location, uh, they ask the same basic questions. Any physician would ask, uh, how are you feeling? What is your temperature? What's your blood pressure? And a system would, would give him percentage of prediction, like uh, probability you would have this, probability you would have that. This is really important for people in remote places, uh, just like what Mohammed was doing in, in Honduras. He volunteered to be there to help the needy for two weeks, and people walked away from villages miles away. He told me that people walked two days just to come in to, to, to see him. I would love to see something like this. I mean, it's simple. It's not complicated. Uh, I would love to see something like this that's taking place as soon as possible. Wow. I, I, that was something. That was really something, the idea that people walk for two days to see him. Mo, you must have felt very, very popular and very appreciated, yes? It must have been a very gratifying trip. Oh, it was very enlightening. I mean, I, it's something that I've never seen before. Uh, uh, some of the people were walking there barefoot, and uh, they had really, you know, sometimes they would come for something as simple as aspirin or or not, you know, not even antibiotics, but like uh, uh, you know, very simple things that we take for granted. And uh, it was it was definitely a great experience, and I, I'm looking forward to doing it again. 
Wow. Very, that, that's an invention, getting more doctors to go and, and uh, way beyond borders. Dr. Pete Kilcommons at MedWeb, pleasure to speak with you. Now it's time for our crystal ball predictions round. I saved a whole whopping 60 seconds for you, Pete, for your prediction. So if we met again, I told you on our prep call, I'm keen on the year 2020, but you can pick any time. It could even be this afternoon at 5 or tomorrow. Look into the future. What will change in the field of Internet of Medical Things, Internet of Wearables, uh, telemedicine, remote medicine, Pete, prediction, 60 seconds, give it to us. So uh, I think by 2020, you're going to see uh, virtual health coaches. You're going to see uh, an entirely new layer of uh, healthcare analytics and, and information processing that's going to absolutely embody the auto doc uh, from recent movies or, as, as Adam referred to, the ability to ask a series of questions and, com- and combine that uh, from from a patient, combining it with their demographics, their genomics, their medical history, what medications they're currently on, uh, and what uh, their jobs are, and so on, and come up with a list of uh, probable causes for a particular uh, illness. However, uh, that will only that that will allow us to direct them to the the proper. Uh, care uh, in a more timely manner, and more importantly, in the uh, underserved communities, it's a way to radically, radically improve the quality of care available uh, through something as simple as a smartphone as as they become more inexpensive and ubiquitous. Uh, The second thing I think that we're going to see is uh, that uh, as we uh, uh, envelope artificial intelligence and all this other information into big data analytics. Uh, we're going to change the face of healthcare and lower the cost of providing care to our elderly population. This is not, uh, you know, 2020, this has to happen. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, will it happen? It has to happen because we have aging populations in Japan, the U.S., Western Europe, that uh, we simply don't have the healthcare infrastructure or economics to support. Uh, I think Singapore, it's fantastic to see that Singapore is leading the way uh, uh, in that part of the world uh, in developing these types of technologies for uh, uh, nation, national health care architectures. Thank you very much. I want to save 60 seconds for Mo, Mohamed Mardini. Dr. Sir, 60 seconds. Give us your quick prediction. Go ahead. Uh, so I think that by 2020, uh, we could definitely become more efficient as far as reducing wait times and channeling resources to hospitals and clinics, um, definitely in the rural setting uh, where they need it the most. Uh, I totally agree with Pete. It's not just about, uh, uh, you know, telemedicine and just, uh, you know, having the patient visit the doctor, but it's more about telewellness too, having a life coach. Uh, you know, the biggest problem is, for example, somebody loses some weight, they gain it right back right afterwards. And we really want to be able to have this on-demand coach that can kind of guide and help patients throughout their life. Thank you very much. Brief and to the point. I appreciate it. And that saved 60 seconds for Adam. Dad, go ahead. Talk to us. Predict fast. Thank you very much. Actually, I predict that the wearables accuracy is going to increase and the level of communication between uh, just not, not just the devices, but uh, the users as well as the healthcare industry in, in general is going to increase. So people that they have certain kind of illness, they'll be able to share information out of their wearable to, to their physicians. And that would increase the level of collaboration between patients and between the healthcare uh, providers.
I think collaboration is the name of the game. Thank you very much. Dr. Peter Kilcommons at MedWeb, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and your passion for this topic with us, as well, the young Dr. Mohamed Mardini. We are thrilled to meet you, you and congratulations on what you did in Honduras and hope you inspire more physicians to go out and reach out, reach out and touch someone. Adam Mardini, always happy to have you on board. I know you're planning the next session for this event. And I have to do a shout out to Ira Burke at SAP. I finally met Ira in person when I was broadcasting remotely on site, actually, but remote to the world from my usual station. Uh, We did 33 interviews with uh, innovators, SAP partners, executives, customers, 33 interviews in three days from Orlando at the Sapphire Now 2017 conference. And Ira took the time to come to my studio and say hello, and it was nice to meet him. So I'm just going to say my call to action here. This is a wow topic. I'm hoping we can do it again. Uh, my shout out is fasten your seatbelt. Maybe there's a sensor in it, and the sensor will tell Dr. Peter Kilcommons that you had too much apple pie last night and you can't get your seatbelt buckled. I don't know. Or to, to Mo Mardini. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Dr. Kilcommons, just like Adam Mardini, and just like Dr. Mo Mardini. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. I'll be back at 2 p.m. Eastern today with another edition of our small business small enterprise focus show think big work small with game changers see ya bye bye thanks again for tuning in to internet of things with game changers presented by sap the best run businesses run sap to keep the conversation going tweet your questions and comments to twitter hashtag sap r-a-d-i-o Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.